Cancel culture is real. CrossPolitik is on the front lines of this battle with the goal of creating a Christian television network and platform where we can't be canceled and where content creators will have the freedom to glorify God. Our goal is to create a space for like-minded businesses to thrive on this platform and to reach an audience that will not only buy your products and services, but also support your business when the heat of cancel culture comes your way. We want our platform to help you create an anti-fragile business as we bring together Christians from all over the world to tune in. With millions of downloads a year, access to DirecTV, Xfinity, and social media outlets, we are excited to partner with you. So, if you own a business and believe in this vision, then you need to call me. I'm Garrison Hardy, and I am the business development rep at CrossPolitik and the Fight, Laugh, Beast Network. We are looking for businesses, large or small, that not only have great products and services, but also understand that the cultural battle that is impacting the business climate here and now. I have a background in marketing, and I'd love to help you advertise your business on CrossPolitik. Give me a call at 208-792-1290 or email me at garrison at fightlaughfeast.com. A few brothers that came in the room, just giving y'all a heads up. Right now we are live on Rumble and I am actively trying to get, okay, we got 17 people watching. What's up? Got my boy Jason Farley sitting over here next to me. Just got done handing ourselves some panda, but we are live right now. What's up, Laura? How you doing? Scott Morgan, what's up, bro? Trey Mays, what's up, bro? Salute. Hey, Trey Mays. Yeah, F. Cooper, Freeman, I see you. Uh, we are actually live right now on Rumble, and I'm trying to get a link. Eva, hello. Nick, what's up? Um, I'm trying to get uh, a link from my boy Neil so y'all can know, come over to Rumble and come hang out with us because we're about to have one of them. Um, Shadrick, what's up, man? Yo, Um we about to have one of those Knox Unplugged conversations over on Rumble. And so we're just trying to do our best at this point to kind of get everybody off of YouTube. Our YouTube channel just got smashed. We are on in punishment. Jason, say hi. What's up to everybody? What's Jason? up? Yeah. And so Phil Smith. What's up, Phil? Marcus Pittman. Salute, sir. Hey. I miss you, dude. Get back here. Yeah, Megan. You're, too, you're too far away. Oh, you sent me a link? Could, could you do me a – could you – um? Because I can't yeah. go to it right now, but is it possible for you to share that link inside of that, that live stream on CrossPolitik on Facebook? Guys, Neil is sharing. with Frank Drummer, what's up, sir? Salute. Um, right now, I'm going to put a link. Neil Alicomendrez is going to put a link inside of getting kicked off YouTube means you're doing the right thing. Well, thank you. I think so. Uh, Neil is going to post a link inside of this live stream. So that you can go over to Rumble and join us on our live talk. So we're going to be over there having the conversation and uh, talking about metaphysics is uh, or eschatology is metaphysics in motion. So this is long form. We're probably going to go a thousand different places. But listen, if you don't know who Eric Vogelin is, like, dude, you are missing out. He's he knows he's been knowing where we're at and what's going on. And he's one of the few scholars right now that. Um, I trust. And Jason yeah. was telling me we don't have any more conservative scholars anymore. Yeah. The conservatives uh, have kind of wandered away from actually being scholars in 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 the uh, places where it can be uh, peer reviewed because the communists took over, really. And we gave it up. Yeah, we gave it up. We walked away. This is kind of Inception right now. Like right now, let's I'll take you mm. guys to the studio. This is Inception. And look at this. Look. Neil's back here. Are you live streaming too? No, I'm. I am 
You're on Rumble? On Rumble, because I'm trying to figure out how Rumble so, works. I hate Facebook cameras. The reverse image is stupid. I don't know. What, I, don't, <laughs> I don't even do that. But listen, we're Inception. Right now, Rumble is watching you while you're watching Rumble, yep. and we're live streaming there. So I'm about to shut it down. And go have the rest of this conversation on Rumble. But I wanted you guys to know that that's where we're going to be hanging out at. So, Neil, did you drop that link the inside of Facebook? Live streamception. <laughs> live streamception. <laughs> all right. So, we're over at Rumble having this conversation. Look forward to seeing you guys over there. All right. Salute. And so now, people come over from there to hear. Yeah, I should have said share. I don't know why I didn't. Would y'all do that right now? I'm going to go on Rumble and see. I don't know if there's. Is, I can. I can probably share it, right? Yeah. Share. So, guys, we're just hanging out over here. So, if you guys have any questions, anything you want us to answer as it relates to metaphysics, or pretty much Jason's skilled on anything, but um, feel free to jump in here and ask. I'm going to pull up the chat. Neil, if there's somebody who makes a comment, would you let me know too? Thank you. All right. <coughs> Oh, yeah, because we can finally get the questions. I've always been wondering what people have. You think if we don't have questions, we failed our people in some way? Well, no, I just want to make sure I'm actually answering the questions people have and not just the things that I think are interesting. So at this point, I don't see any, any questions in here. Okay. Uh, On yeah. Facebook? Oh, wait, I, could, I should go to Facebook and reshare. This is, is this what it feels like to be an influencer? I don't like those words. <laughs> I just want to know what it feels like to be you. All right. Hey, we got 15 people over here watching. What's up, y'all? I got it up. All right. We're good at Rumble. All right. So let me take. So people who haven't been with us before, we have been on a journey talking about metaphysics. And Jason has basically been schooling this boy on metaphysics. I've been trying. What's going on, man? Everything's messed up. He's like, yeah, you, you need to know two things. Metaphysics and Gnosticism. Yeah. And if you could. Is that the police? They come. That for is. You? That is. They heard we're on Rumble. Um, we got all the food over here. Now let's get. I don't want to. Let's not see that. We just got to eat lunch. Um, and so I want to. I want to. We were having. I want to kind of bring people into how we got to this conversation. So I'm going to reveal our text thread. I want to reveal how what we were talking about via text message, and Should we read it to each other? No, no, no. I'm I'm just gonna go. Oh, can you just like share the screen? So I, I I was telling you. So we were talking about Eric Vogelin. Yep. And did I say his name right? Yep. And you were telling me that um that I need to read this book on what is the it's three books in this one book. Yeah. But the, the, this is the collected works. This is a really nice edition. They started put Eric Vogelin's works out again into a collected works but this volume is modernity without restraint uh -huh. um, and it's about the the theological underpinnings of modern political thought and why it is that the restraints of the old world no longer hold why it is that things seem so crazy now he's writing back in the 40s to the 60s yeah, and he was like, "Yeah, you guys, can, you, I get it. It's going totally nuts, right back then." And so he, I don't think he could have even imagined where we're at now. And I wouldn't have picked this book up had it not had um, science, politics, and Gnosticism, and that's the one of the books inside of this yep. threefold yep. part. And 
That was his popularization attempt. <laughs> Wouldn't you read it? And one of the things that kind of messed me up in this process was we were kind of talking about metaphysics, and you, and I had brought up to you the fact that um, Francis Schaeffer was talking the same thing as Eric Vogelin. I felt like Francis Schaeffer was modernizing what Vogelin was saying. And you told me that they were contemporaries, but I said, um, but you also said that Schaeffer didn't have an eschatology. He didn't have the eschatology worked out in this process. Yeah. So, you, he, so Schaeffer was, he was worried about um, epistemology, right? So, and following Van Til, you know, the, uh, in the epistemal that, that we've lost, um, that the, that the modern world and the postmodern world don't have any foundation for their epistemology and that, that, uh, that is a huge crack in their system that we as Christians should be pointing out and going after, which is true. Right. So, yeah. A lot of the presuppositionalist movement is a movement to point out the epistemological bankruptcy of the modern world. Um, and so I asked you, I was like, so are you saying that Schaefer, in one way or another, couldn't shake the Gnosticism he was in because his eschatology was impotent? And this is when you told me, you were said eschatology is metaphysics in motion. And so after that, though, we went down... I was like, shut up, you just nailed tomorrow's title. That just went crazy. It's like, you said, um, you drain the power of your eschaton, you lose everything. Literally everything loses its essence and meaning. Yeah, everything, right? The, mm. that, that the, the essence of what a thing is, um, you, you, remove the, you remove an eschatology that's moving someplace, that, that is created by God and is good, and it has a, an intended end that he is moving everything towards. And you actually lose, you don't just lose stuff, you actually lose your ability to have a world full of things that you can interact with and and uh, enjoy. So what do you mean by eschatology is metaphysics in motion? Yeah, so eschatology um, are, the, the, the eschatology that we look at and we say, you know, that one makes sense. Eschatology, it means the study of the last things or a theory of the last things. And there's certain eschatological truths that all Christians agree on. So that Jesus is coming back, that Jesus will judge all things, that the just and the unjust will all stand before the Lord, that his judgment sends um, some people to hell, some people will be with God for eternity. And so there are certain things that everybody agrees on, but then there's the things that we're still working out, that we're still debating. What What is the new heavens and the new earth? How is it going to come to pass? What's its nature going to be? What is, how does the created order play into the end of all things? Um, it, will the gospel over time be successful in converting the world or unsuccessful in converting the world? Um, or some somewhere in between. So those questions um, that that are that are still that we still are debating. The one that makes sense to you is the one that is aligned with the metaphysic that you already have. So the one that seems most obvious is really just a revelation of what your metaphysic is about what kind of world God created. So then dispensationalism. Yeah, so dispensationalism that says it's all going to burn at the end, 
dispensationalism, you know, that says um, most most of the people in the history of the world are going to end up in hell, and there will be a small group that that makes it through. Everything else is going to burn up, and then they'll fly away and exist with God at the end uh, at the end of all things. Um, that that they're that they'll be raptured out. <clears throat> Well, that assumed that 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 grew out of a metaphysic in which the world was imagined to be a a grinding machine that ate people up. Mm. Everybody agreed on that, and then salvation was to escape the machine, to escape the world, um, and and then leave the grinding machine to finish everybody off, and then be burned up in the fire. That makes sense if the world is a grinding machine that is just moving forward, eating everybody up. Uh, if if that is the kind of place that we live in, then getting out of it is the solution. Right? That's that makes perfect and complete sense. And so when dispensationalism comes on the scene, the late eighteen hundreds, um, it's not immediately accepted by a lot of people, but then world war one comes through mm. the mechanization of war really affects the imagination of, of the whole West. And then world war two comes through and you've got multiple generations that are separated from one another. Uh, emotionally, you know, the, you have the, the uncles and the grandfathers all go off to war in the 1800s on horses. There might be some guns, but it's still mostly swords they they are fighting and then oh, a generation goes to war in world war 1 and there's machines of war there's uh, there's the 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 engines of war you've got mass poisonous gas dumped mm. onto people you've you've got um the kind of the 20th century produced the kind of death in war that had never been seen more people died violent deaths in the 20th century than all the other centuries of the world combined. Mm. So that generation of soldiers comes home and they say to their, you know, you, you, you read all the way back to Caesar's Gallic wars and PTSD as a problem. Soldiers come home and, and they are like, Oh, it was awful. War was hell. And I don't know how I'll ever fit back in. Well, your uncle and your grandpa and your dad pull you aside and they say, yeah, no, I, I get it. I get it. You go to bed, the, the, the hoof beats are in your nightmares. Yeah. It'll settle down. We got you. Right. And they hold their sons and they would, and they would promise their sons that it would go away. And then they would reenter society that went away in world war one because mm. they came home and they said, Man, there's never been anything. I, I just can't believe what I went through. And Grandpa said, "I know, I know." But you know the hoofbeats, and they say hoofbeats. What are you talking about? Uh huh. And the poetry that the that the soldiers of World War One wrote when they got home is all about how there was no place for them anymore. There was no one that understood. There was that that they they didn't feel like men that could fit back into society ever. They felt alienated from society. That alienation, then they pass down to their children because they raised children from that state of alienation. Mm. And their sons then go off to World War II. And then they're like, 
And then the planes flew over and dropped bombs on us. And they're like, yeah, we even haven't even heard of that. Right. Yeah. The, the mechanization of war moves forward at such a rate that you've got this multi-generational gap in which the fathers and the sons can't relate. And so then you've got a whole generation that is raised alienated by alienated fathers, alienated sons, alienated from the world, alienated from their fathers, being raised by alienated fathers who have no place that, that they feel like they can fit in the world. Right? And into that steps the, 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 the metaphor that the world is just a giant machine mm-hmm. eating people up. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of place it is. And you need to escape from and it. You need to escape from it. What's up, Jason Pouncey? I see you. I'm, I'm, guys, I'm reading the Rumble chat, so go ahead, Rumble rant, so keep talking <laughs> yeah, in there. Jason's talking. I'm yeah. a, I don't interrupt every now and then. Trey, I see you. What's up, Trey? So you've got this whole, the, this whole um, reorganization of the psyche of mankind around a new metaphysic. And that is when suddenly dispensationalism takes off. Right, because it it was around, but it wasn't popular. But all of a sudden, sixties, seventies, eighties, it takes off. It makes perfect sense to everyone, because the metaphysic that that they now have, um, if you put that metaphysic, this is the kind of world it is. You put that kind of world in motion, that's the direction it moves. <clears throat> and so, and so, when it comes in. People are looking to get rescued out of it. People are looking, right, yeah. Right. I'll will fly away, and you and that's an old hymn, not that old eighteenth nineteenth uh, century hymn, but that that kind of hymn becomes really popular. I'll fly away, um, and when it was originally written, it, it's a it is a, a spiritual talking about you know escape from slavery, right? Mm-hmm, uh, but mm-hmm. now, what's the slavery? Well, being in the world is the slavery. Is a new slavery, right? So now. They sing the spirituals with a whole new meaning. I'll fly away from what? From this awful, terrible world mm-hmm. up to heaven where I can just bounce around with God as, as a spirit. Why is why is that? So, okay, this is getting to vocal. So that's interesting because yeah. we're talking about eschatology right. is metaphysics and motion. So as we get to Vogelin, though, that, li- that opens the door to how we can easily start accepting Marxism. Right, because Marxism functions on the exact same metaphysic. Right, so the, it, it's, okay. a, it's assumption about the world, it, two, two things. It's assumption about people is that people are alienated from the world. So Karl Marx's definition of humanity is that humanity is an animal that evolved to where it could stand objectively apart from the world and labor in order to gain mastery over the world. Right. But that they evolved to that position. So they are create mm. they're they're a part of nature, but then they're also not a part of nature. They're a part of nature in the sense that they came out of it, but they evolved beyond nature and that through their labor, which is why workers and laborers were at the center of what he of all of his movements, through their labor, they mm. gained mastery they don't just gain mastery over the, the matter of the world. They actually gain mastery over the order of being itself. Okay. Um, when you say order of being, what do you mean? The, the, what a thing is. 
um, what a thing is, what it's for, they they actually gain ma- mastery over that through a, a political evolution by coming together into a single unit and together working as a whole. Right? When humanity works as a whole, as a unit, it can gain mastery over the order of being. So it can make a thing into something that it wasn't before. Right? So not just rearranging the matter around, but actually changing the essence of a thing into a new thing. Right, being like God. Right, exactly. So they can be like God in that sense when they function as a corporate whole, everyone on board. Oh, this is Tower of Babel stuff. Tower of Babel stuff. If everyone works together and is all on board and they each take their place uh, as and labor together, then they will have evolved to the point where they take over the position that God has always held. But I don't want to miss this. In one way or another, the the environment and the setup that we're currently in has a lot of responsibility set at the feet of Christians because they are laying the ground for some of this metaphysical structure of the world, right? Right. Well, I mean, Marx was raised a Christian. His father was a pastor even. So Okay. So the he he's running with a the the metaphysical changes are happening. The the metaphysical, the theoretical metaphysical changes are happening. The philosophy is moving a particular direction, and the church didn't defend its own um, metaphysical ground, right? Right, it, it right, gave right. It over, right. Um, and you know, some of it, some of it, it gave over. Because it didn't know know how to deal with shame. Um, <laughs> you mean the gospel? Yeah, the, it didn't. It didn't understand because it because it had moved away from something. It moved away from the gospel as a place where you go to God and in Christ, you are forgiven of your sins. You're freed from shame. And you're, the fear goes away. Mm. Shame and fear and guilt all then were used because they were available. They were used to leverage the church into the the. When socialism first comes around, a lot of people in the church thought, oh, that seems like a pretty good idea. Right? You have socialist Christian movements um, because, they didn't un- because they thought, you're right. We should feel guilty. He can help get rid of it. Right? Socialism can help get rid of the corporate guilt that our society is, is in. Because there was you know, sin. Workers were being mistreated. Slavery was there. You have all – and they, they – Said, oh, you don't you feel terrible about slavery existing? He's like, yeah, we really do. We shouldn't have done that. You know, the reason you feel so bad is because the people in charge have not organized the order of being the way they ought to, because that's what the people in charge do. Mm. We should replace them with us. Mm. Right? And so, but this sounds really familiar. It does. Yeah, this is this is the, that revolutionary mindset says. That we he has he summarizes it really really well in here right he's, um, philosophy springs from the love of being oh yeah I'm right there too yeah it is man's loving endeavor to perceive the order of being and attune himself to it right so that's the older the he and here he's talking about the progression into modernism but the older understanding of philosophy uh, was that you are trying to discover what the order of being is so you can submit yourself to it. Right. There's an objective, transcendent standard, and I am trying to find what that standard is and bring myself under subjection of that standard. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. that's... Right. And he says, but Gnosis, 
desires dominion over being, right? And that is so. He and he's describing um, Hegel and Karl Marx here. De- desires dominion over being in order to seize control of the Gnostic constructs. Uh, in in order to seize control of being, the Gnostic constructs his system. The building of systems is a Gnostic form of reasoning, not a philosophical one. Right. So. Yeah, what does that mean? So Karl Marx, he comes up with a system of understanding everything according to the disparate uh, wealth that and the competition that ensues because of the that some people are rich, some people are poor. Right? You've right. got a class warfare. And he says everything grows out of this class warfare. It's an ideology. One idea explains everything, class warfare. And, and he says, and then you build a system, an ideal system, in which every person has their proper place and there's no money, no private property. Everything is held and owned in common. And we're going to take that system and if we can impose it onto uh, reality, we can actually gain control of being itself. We can turn We can turn the world, we can reconstruct the world into whatever it is we want because we'll be in charge. Right? That's the kind of power that you can get. And that's, that's Gnosticism, right? That yeah. is a, that's a revival of an old religious system in which you gain control over the order of being and you can actually evolve up the order of being through uh, different systems of knowledge and systems of, of uh, the, what we would think of as, religious rights and that sort of thing, but really they're, they're Gnostic systems. So is this, and you know, when you look at Genesis, you're looking at, um, in the beginning, God, and then you have that there. And then you see God, there's a separation between God and creation, God, and then God makes creation. Right. And so there's this chasm that those two shall never be crossed, right? Like you you don't get to be God. creation, Creation can't evolve up to divinity. Right. And so when they're talking about being, creating a system, they're creating a system ultimately to dethrone God, to jump past that chasm. Right. Because God is just the one, he is one being in a long chain of many beings. They're all the same kind of thing. There's God, who's he's just the most powerful of all the beings. And all the other beings are hanging down a chain or down a series of steps, or there's a, def- a number of metaphors they use. Mm-hmm. Um, they're down a... a Waterfall, you've got um, the steps down a waterfall, you've got steps down a temple, you've got links down a chain. God is at the top, but everybody's the same kind of being. It's only a difference in power. Mm. And so that you can evolve up that chain or you can take the links off the top and then you're at the top. And so when they're creating that system, what they're doing, it's reconstructing the kind of Tower of Babel all over right. again to try and kill God. Right, to try and kill God, right? So Nietzsche mm. is famous for saying God is dead, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, in fact, you had you know the cover of Time magazine in the 60s declared God is dead. Mm-hmm. Right? So you, so, but what we have done as Christians is because we haven't understood what they're saying— we haven't been able to effectively counteract it. And that's how I feel right now with the whole social justice movement and 
um, critical theory and critical race theory and social theory, I feel like that there's this conversation that's happening and we aren't able to yeah. throw anything big enough to knock down what they're hitting at. Right. Because, because what we, we do throw up straw men and say, whoops, God's undead. He came back after three days and everybody cheers. Hey. Right, right, right. You're like, no, you have, we, th- that's not enough because then we end up buying into all of their metaphysical assumptions mm. because they throw their metaphysical assumptions at us in art and in story and in poetry and in music because they, they believe the world is made of this kind of thing. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah. Okay. So, and that's, that's, so the, it, they're, so that, and then they just know we just have to wait out. They'll buy into the metaphysics eventually and the eschatology will follow. Mm, so you're saying that basically they'll completely disagree with us theoretically, Yeah, but they're going to eat that metaphysical structure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the part of proof of that is how we look at education. Yeah, ed, yeah, it, totally. Education. We we now educate in the same ways that they educate, but we just change out some of the sentences and think that we've. But we're, we're treating our kids the same way they're treating kids. Um, mm. We we have mm. uh, we don't have the same understanding. We we don't we bring the same understanding of education with us. Because we have defined our kids as the same kind of thing, mm. right? Our, we think our kids are going to grow up and be cogs in the machine, and so we're when we say, "But it's really important to us that they're very shiny, clean cogs right. in the machine." Or, um, you know, we we say, "Well, our our kids need to grow up and be important, an important part of the economy," and so we educate them like getting a job is their purpose in life. Yeah. Right. So they're going to grow up and they're going to get a great job and they're going to provide for their family and they're going to help the economy because they're going to spend a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's, that's, and that's the Rush Limbaugh conservative. Yeah. Um, and we've kind of gutted out the system and think if we can do these things and we'll, I, I want to, so for real quick, I want to say, guys, there's a plus button on underneath the screen that you're watching. It's called the rumble. You can hit that rumble button. That actually has rumbles. It's kind of like a like button. Um, that, hit hit that rumble button for me, all right? Just just hit that rumble button. And by the way, I'm I'm not saying that you should do this, but there's a way that you can. There's a little money bag thing <laughs> on the comment section in the rumble rant. People have been known to hit that button too. I'm just saying. And if you do that, I'm I'm gonna stop in the middle of this. I'm gonna bless you, real. I'm gonna bless. I'm gonna pray it for has you. Has been known to it's, happen. It's been known to happen before. Okay, he so said in the passive <clears throat> tense. So when you talk about when we say when when Nietzsche talking about um, God is dead, when you say that we respond to that and say no, he rose in three days, and you say we're missing something that right that that the conversation that they're having. Yeah, because what they're what they're doing is they they are saying. Um, we are, well, Vogelin has a really. By the way, so right now we are, um, Eric Vogelin, if you don't have this book, go get this book. This is phenomenal. Um, the last, so this is three books in one. Yep. Somebody said I had it up backwards. I think Trey said I had it up backwards. Sorry, Trey. It was a Facebook flip thing. So go get this book. This is phenomenal. Phenomenal book. It's explaining exactly where we're at. Now, one of the things I want to get to is how Vogelin solves the problem and what the problem, how to solve the problem. But I don't even think. We know what the problem is. Yeah, we have not identified the problem properly, and so then we jump in to solve something else. And we think that we've right. done it. Okay, right. so we think that we've done it. So <clears throat> he's he's quoting uh, thus big there's 
Thus Spake Zarathustra, which is um, one of Nietzsche's books. And he says, and Nietzsche ends, if there were gods, how could I endure not being a god? Therefore, there are no gods. Right. That, that's the, that's the, the big argument. And it's, it's, Nietzsche is a incredibly gifted writer. Mm-hmm. And he, he, so, um, he writes these stories, these novel forms. Um, and so when you, so you feel the characters alienation along with him and you, you recognize your own alienation in the main character. Yeah. Cause I mean, is this where he starts, he runs out and he's screaming, he's looking for God. Yeah. Yeah. And he runs to the tavern. He's looking for God. And I remember reading this last night and I was like, this is gripping. Right. Yeah. You know, it it was yeah. really gripping and it, so you're 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 bought into the story that he's in. And we have we have all felt this as moderns. This is one of the things that we hold in common, right? That this feeling of alienation, the feeling like I don't fit in the world because we have assumed that there is no world system that fits together properly in which we have a place. And so he's identifying our alienation in his character and we are identifying the alienation in the character in ourselves. Okay. So pause right there. So then when people are, the reason that people would say that, especially from um, you guys feel free to share this as well, because this is about to go crazy. But the other reason that people feel that way is because there's, there's verses that we are reading that is like love, not the world, nor the right. things that are in the world. And if he loves the world, then the love of the father is not in him. Right. right. So I think we're feeling like, well, okay, what about how do we deal with that? Right, because the and that no effective lie is one hundred percent lie, right? An yeah. effective lie is taking something that's true and putting it into a new place that makes it no longer true. Right, putting it into a new context that makes it no longer true. That's the most effective lies. I mean, Hitler does say 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 a lie loud enough and long enough, and people will start to believe it. So there is uh, MTV did a study in the nineties. That, um, As we've come to that, MTV studies. Yeah, well, well the, listen, to the, <laughs> listen to the study, though. What they did was they studied a bunch of teenagers and to try and figure out how they identified what they liked because uh-huh. they wanted to identify what a teenager's like because we're going to serve them with our MTV music channel. And what, what they actually found, though, was that teenagers couldn't tell the difference between I recognize that and I like that. Oh, okay. They weren't able to make that distinction yeah. until you got to a certain amount of to Question. a certain level of adulthood. What, what, what's the difference? <laughs> no, I'm joking. Yeah. For real, no, what's the difference? But so they, so the, what they did is they said, "Oh my gosh, all we need to do is put the same thing in front, in front of them, of them enough because they, they don't know the difference. They don't know the difference. So they'll be like, oh, okay, hey, I like this, and I recognize this. We're experienced the same in teenagers in the '90s." Now I think adults don't actually ever grow out of that. <laughs> well, okay, because okay, so so but with Facebook, they're they are being manipulated to or mm-hmm. or news, yeah, or so well, that makes funny. more sense how you get a kind of a group of people to buy into an right. idea or worldview right. because you're telling them how they need to feel about this. When Twitter realized that they they actually hired psychologists of addiction to help them design their site as addictive as possible. Okay. It hasn't worked for me, but I <laughs> well, will, but, Twitter's the, but it still makes sense though, because I remember when the elections happened and people were saying, Oh, they're cheating because they're using Facebook and to control the ads that people see in front of them. And I'm thinking, man, you know, ad going to 
manage for me how I feel about these particular <laughs> right. thoughts. Like that doesn't work. But if if people are being discipled to think a certain way, right, and that they don't know the difference between what they like what or they don't like or what they yeah. recognize, then all you have to do is tilt the scale a particular type of way, and yeah. you got the people. Yeah, and there's a uh, there's a uh, French literary critic Rene Girard who who um, added add to it the fact that what we that often we don't know what we like until we know what a group likes and then what group we're in oh they like this thing or they like that thing and um, and then our our experience of liking something is actually our experience of being in a group and feeling belonged feeling, right yeah we, we I belong there and so if I like opposed to what my group likes I'm going to feel like an outsider right and so the it the uh, the identification mm. of it being inside a group and outside a group uh we so he called it mimetic desire we actually just mime the desires first of the people older than us and then of the people in our group that was Vogelin too, right? Who, who was that? that was, that's that's uh, Rene Girard. Rene Girard. That's yeah. what I remember. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Rene Girard. Mimetic desires. Yes. Yeah. And so, so those, those, and and there's God designed that in us, right? My kids, they like the music that I like when they're young, and they they like the you know I I say here's something you should like, here's the food you should like here, and they're like oh okay, they say they see, see me pick up a cheeseburger and say, mmm, this is amazing. And then right. they pick it up and they say, oh, I guess this is what amazing tastes like. Right, right, so, right, right. So that's a, that is how God invented, how God designed the world to work, but it can be turned to, <laughs> to evil by the evil. So take me back to yeah, uh, um, Nietzsche. Nietzsche, yeah. Nietzsche, Nietzsche. Right. So um, if there were gods, how could I endure not being a god? Therefore, there are no gods. It's a big, big you know, um, story moment. And what Vogelin points out is it does not suffice, therefore, to replace the old world of God with a new world of man. The world of God itself must have been a world of man. And God, a work of man, that can therefore be destroyed if it prevents man from reigning over the order of being. The murder of God must be made retroactive, mm. speculatively. So, meaning that you have to actually change the history. You have to change the story that we're involved in. So, when when you say, "Well, we evolved beyond God. God is now dead." He, um, we've we've thought that what they're trying to say is God is not important to people anymore. Mm-hmm. And we say, well, he's still important to me. Therefore, you're wrong. Right? Yeah. Um, of course, God exists. Look yeah. at all this stuff. Yeah. Right, oh, the, right. right, 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 yeah. right. But actually, mm. what what he's saying, what what that what Nietzsche is saying, and then what Marx came to realize and push really hard. Freud does this exact same thing in his, um, in his, uh. uh Psycho, psychology, his main psychology text, which is the name of it, is escaping me right now. But what what they do is they say it's not as if we've evolved beyond God now. What it is is that we used to be weak, and we couldn't face reality clearly. We couldn't 
face the hard truth. But now we have evolved to people that can face the hard truth. Truth, So we no longer need the crutch of God that we had to invent ourselves because that's what mankind does. It invents whatever it needs to be able to survive. Mm. And so we invented God to be able to serve. First we invented the uh, religion, animism. Then we invented the gods. Then we invented a monotheistic God that was above all because we, we invent the thing we need to survive, but we have now grown beyond that. We now can face the hard truth and we can join together, turn and invent the society that we need now. We can gain power over the order of being and create whatever it is we need now, the way we created God then. I think Vogelin says that the nature of Gnostic speculation can now be understood as a symbolic expression of anticipation of salvation in which the power of being replaces the power of God and the perusia of being the perusia of Christ. Right. Right. And so the, the, uh, perusia is a Greek word that means the presence. So it's the coming of Jesus to be with us again. Yeah. So, well, They've t- they've taken the Christ- the shape of Christian eschatology, right? Because the ancient world didn't have anything shaped the way that we have that Christians have eschatology. They've taken that shape of an optimistic vision of at some point God coming back and finally putting everything right, Jesus coming back and being bodily present and putting everything right, um, and in the meantime us working towards that goal. Right. That's Christian eschatology. The future is a world in which everything is put right. We, in the present, work towards that. In, they've taken the shape of that, and they've gutted it of its content, kept the shape of it, and refilled it with new content. Right. So it's like Plato, <clears throat> like not not the philosopher. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The 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 toy. Yeah, yeah. Right. That they have. They've taken the 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 the. the uh, because that's the idea is inescapable. You got to have a transcendence. Right. You right? got to have a transcendence. But they've said the well. What it, what's the transcendent thing? Well, it's just being. It's it's existence, right? The fact that there is anything is enough, and we can get control over it and shape it until we get to the point where we have absolute control over what exists, what the, what the thing is that's in front of us. And, and, and we I think, become God. Well, and that's exactly what Vogelin gets at here on page 285, um, halfway down the page. He says, Marxo, Marxin, Marxin homo novus is not a man without religious illusion, but one who has taken God back into his being. The non-man who has illusions becomes fully human by absorbing the superman. Right? Right. And so, in reality, therefore, the new man is like Nietzsche's Superman, the man who has made himself God. Right. So, the, and, and this is, so Marx and Nietzsche and Freud and uh, Hegel and Kant, all of these guys, what they all agreed on was that man was evolving towards divinity. They changed the phrasing, they changed the words, and so Marxian uh, uh, homo novus, right? New, the new man, 
this, uh, Mar- Karl Marx called it socialist man. Um, and Nietzsche called it u- the Ubermensch, the Superman, right? That, that this new man was coming. Yeah. And it was just a matter of how you got there. But they all agreed that the new man was coming and that when you evolved into the new man, those that hadn't yet evolved into the new man were less human than you and therefore disposable. Uh, oh, boy. I like, so I think uh, PlaySkull just said they cleaned house and added seven and added things seven times worse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Evolution, exactly. I think J.C. JC said evolution of religion made possible by Darwin. That's exactly right. One more time. Well, the, the, the title of the Vogelin volume is, well, the, the one that I like is uh, Science, Politics, and Gnosticism is the main title of, the, of the book, this particular book. But this actual book has three books in it, and Modernity Without Restraint. is the name of the, yeah, this volume. Is the name of this whole volume. It's the fifth volume of the, the collected works of Vogelin. Now, evolution, though, isn't made possible by Darwin. Darwin is made possible by Gnosticism. Okay, whoa, whoa. <laughs> All right, break it down, because I think we talked a little bit yeah, about, we did this. Talk about this. So that, that Darwin is this same understanding, but, apply, but the mechanism is biological, right? The mechanism is survival of the fittest and biology. So Marx says the mechanism is class warfare, and, the, um, and then... The, the imposition of a new economic system by force onto society. Darwin says, and Darwin actually was considered the more conservative of the two at the time. Wow. Right? He, because, well, actually, it's, the, it's biological survival of the fittest. Right? So Darwin was embraced originally by the people that would have been considered conservatives because – it was just a wait and see. There wasn't a radical imposition via power. And that was that was what separated the left wing and the right wing revolutionarily. And so we're all right wing, which just means that we're in favor of slow revolution of until we gain power over being. Mm, mm. <laughs> Whereas the left wing was in favor of radical. If we're going there, let's just go for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Let's just, you know... Um, as long as I'm not one of the eggs that's cracked in the process. I think part of what we were talking about earlier on page 286, um, I want to get to eschatology Yeah, here. Because I think now that we got how the world is being recreated, what are they recreating it to? Right. So, And this is really interesting. It's funny because I, I've always heard so many people, especially in the Reformed conservative world, arguing like, eschatology is not really that important. It's right. not, not really a big yeah. deal. Don't worry about it. You know, some people don't even know what their eschatology is. Right. We can just be pan-millennialists. Right. I'm sure it'll all pan out. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And I think a, a lot of all-mill folks are actually, they, they hold that pan-millennialist stuff, right. Right? right? But but the truth is, though, if you don't have an anchored eschatology, then what are you working toward? What are you building towards? And and so I got to a post-millennial eschatological view because of the story of the gospel and Genesis. So I didn't get there from the way everybody else got there. I got there because if Adam has fallen and, and, and Christ has come to redeem what Adam has lost, right. then whatever Christ is redeeming the world back to was exactly the same thing that Adam was to do inside of Genesis. Right. 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 And so to be fruitful and multiply, go take the meaning of the world. And then the way that we do that, we even have a stronger weapon now, too, with the gospel. But then the world is supposed to have this trajectory 
that was supposed to be intended from the very beginning back in Genesis. Right. Well, I, I think the reason that positions like amillennialism, though, seem like they're, I've often heard it called like, well, amillennialism is the middle ground, right? It's right. The, yep. Yep. It's yep. the one that makes the most sense. It's not as radical as either side. And, right. But, but that is because there's a particular metaphysic that's already assumed about the nature of the world, right? That, and the, um, and, and historically the, the way that some of this stuff came about is you had the optimistic eschatology of the church, you know, pushing, pushing into the late 1800s. And as it was, as there were secularists that take it like Karl Marx, it's a secularist that takes an optimistic eschatology and tries to run with it in a secular context with a secular metaphysic. Um, uh, Hegel tries to run with a, a, an optimistic eschatology in a secular context. Um, he's a little bit, he's definitely more complex than Marx. Um, but, but he's, he's and a little more crazier too. He's, he's not consistent in a lot of ways. Yeah. He, well, he's, he's trying, he is trying to figure out what it would look like to be consistent. Um, and, Everybody else, everybody after him has the benefit of him making the mistakes. Okay, okay, okay. But you have Kant doing something similar. <clears throat> the, what happens is the left, uh, the, the conservatives um, and the progressives split over, um, over total depravity, is what Calvinists would call it, but just the sinfulness of man, mm-hmm. right? And anthropology, anthropology, yeah. yeah. So they, you have the 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 folks that hold to, to total depravity say, "Well, look, no, we still have total depravity, and the um, sin is still a problem. Mankind is sinful. Mankind can't be trusted, especially with power." And but then the progressives they start running off in a particular direction, and World War One happens, mm. and the conservatives say, "See." told you you can't because because world war one is uh it's really kind of the end of christendom maybe world war two but uh because you're attempting to continue to hold the world together on top of secularism because that doesn't work the conservatives say well no we're we're still holding to the untrustworthiness of man the sinfulness of man and the progressives run without the sinfulness of man they 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 make a run for it and say but we're going to take the optimistic optimistic eschatology mm. amillennialism is a way of saying okay we still hold to the sinfulness of man um and orthodox theology orthodox anthropology and but we're not going to enter into that eschatological discussion because the progressives have it. Mm. And, and if we go too far that way, we're going to become progressives and we'll all walk away from our orthodox mm. anthropology and our orthodox um, theology. The problem is that amillennialism then creeps, that metaphysic creeps backwards into our doctrine of creation. Mm. Right. And because 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 everybody's got to have a Genesis story to meet at the end of the day, their eschatological position. Exactly. And your Genesis story 
affects your revelation story and your revelation story affects your Genesis story, mm. right? Your revelation in the, you know, the end of the, the end of the story affects the beginning. The beginning affects the end. Yeah. And you, and if you give up the ending, you're, you're going to lose, gonna lose the beginning. beginning at some point yeah. too. But, and so here's, it's funny because after I started reading Eric Vogelin, I, I remember thinking to myself, okay, Marxism is bad. I get how bad Marxism is, yeah. right? I get how bad it is. I've seen the history. I've seen it as what it's done through history, right? right? So it, when yeah. somebody says that they're, they're trained in Marxism. Fundamentally violent and destructive. Right. Like, yeah. that's not hard to see. Like, I, I get that, right? Um, and so, like, the, the leader of, one of the leaders of Black Lives Matter says, hey, we're trained Marxists. And I remember, like, everybody should have said, all right, listen, I don't believe in pre-crimes, but arrest them. <laughs> right. right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like oh, this, like, this is why this is, Minority Report. Right, right. Like, I'm not a Minority Report guy, <laughs> but anybody who says that I'm a trained Marxist, you can expect there's going to be something absolutely insane right. coming from them. Right. Until I start reading Eric Vogelin and understand the, what Gnosticism is, Gnosticism isn't just something that's operating in thought. It actually has an eschatalon view. Right. That's Catalan view, right? It, it is pushing towards something. Yeah. And so when they said that I'm trained Marxist, I, I didn't understand how crazy that statement was and how it should have rocked every Christian until I get to basically, what is this, page 286 in Vogelin, at the top of the left page? Yep. You know, and he starts talking about the eschatology of Marxism. Right. Right. Uh, uh, religion... Is the groan of the oppressed creature, the heart of heartless wor- uh, the heart of a heartless world, the spirit of a spiritless condition. It is the opium of the people. Now we hear that all the time. People say, yep. "Oh, it's the, the opium of the people," but what he means is that it was holding us back from reaching what we could become. Uh, it, that uh, which is a world beyond truth. That the opium of the masses, religion, um, it's not something that you know. It keeps that it kept them numb to control them, which is right. what we tend to think. Right, right. Like what? But religion makes people great citizens, and like, well, that's not what he's talking about. Mm. It's, it's it's the opium of the masses that keeps us from moving to a world beyond truth in order to establish the truth of the world. That's okay. how Marx puts it. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> it's, it's, it's he's insane. he's smoking opium. He's. It, it sounds like he is, but what he's actually doing is he's saying we're going to evolve from this point where we're under the world, where the wor- where the world timeout. S- hold on, hold okay. that, hold that, because okay. Play Skull just gave five dollars. Glory to God. <laughs> I'm, listen, let me pray for you, Play Skull. Um, may the Lord God bless you. May you have a huge tribe, and may they hold up your picture and bless your name generations upon generations. God bless this man right now. Amen. If the story of Revelation is changed and affects the Genesis story, then are Amil's falling, are Amil's failing in their systematic thought? If they don't recognize it, how do they recognize? How do they reconcile it? That's a that's a good question. Should we come back to that in a minute, or should we dive in there? Well, he he gave money. He he get to, he, <laughs> he, gets, he, he get to go first. Right, he gets to go first. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so read, don't forget where you're at, though. Yeah, read okay. that. Read that to me one time. Okay, here I'll give it to you so you can see it. Okay, because okay. my reading Excellent. you and you understand it might not be the right. same. I'm gonna eat some food while you answer this question. Right. If the Revelation story is changed and affects the Genesis story, then are Amils failing in their systematic thought? If they don't recognize it, how do they reconcile it? So. 
I mean, here's here's the thing: is a couple of things. One, we're saved by um, by what Jesus did on the cross, not by our recognition of it, and it and it works the same here. God is working in the world in a particular way, and it it doesn't depend on us getting or understanding it. That's not how God's work is implemented. The Spirit of God implements His work. And okay. so you just gave an answer that was a Gnostic way to go <laughs> that you, you are structuring your answer off the real metaphysics of the world. That's beautiful. I just want to point that out. Okay. Awesome. I, I, that was, was that intentional. No, it wasn't intentional. I just, just that, um, thinking like what, what railings do we need to put up? Um, but, but what, what, uh, and we're all in the process of, you know, we're all heathens in the process of becoming Christians, right? We're all in this conversion. We, there is a moment at which we become Christians and we begin trusting in God. Mm-hmm. And then that the, the seed or the, the yeast gets in there and begins to work through the loaf. Sanctification. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. so we're all in this sanctification process. So we're all failing in our systematic thought in places. And so, so that, that's, it's a, the easy answer is yes, because we're all there. But the specific answer is that um, that amillennialism actually it undoes the story nature of of scripture and uh, of history. Uh, often it it not that every amill does, um, but because it disconnects the beginning and the end. Um, right. Usually, right. Well, and actually, it's funny because there's more fights over. Eschatology, uh, um, and not over Genesis, right, 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 <laughs> right. So, if you have somebody, uh, if if you have an Amil guy that defends wholeheartedly the uh, the historic nature of the first three chapters, the first eleven chapters of mm-hmm. the Bible, right, um, and then wants to talk eschatology, you know, wants wants to talk end times as well, then. I'm, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm happy to talk to anyone, but I'm happy to have that conversation. Um, but I don't want to talk what what happens at the end if they're already giving away the beginning, right? Right. So if if they're saying, well, you know, but most of them don't give up the beginning. Well, that hasn't but, been my. Oh, really? Do you so think that they often, do? Often they're they they're. How do you think they give up the beginning? Um, by saying well it's a literary construct it's a um the a really popular one i've run into a number of times now is well it's a covenantal construct it's not literal and historical it's actually you know based on a on really what kind of amil guys are you talking to kleinian guys okay well i'm talking to mostly reform you know reformed baptist guys who would never say that they are fighting for the narrative of genesis they absolutely believe that it's not only historical, it's factual. You know, they they're but, all the way down that. And but do, do you tend? Do they tend to then be optimistic Amil guys? Sometimes, yes. Yeah, because I think that once you understand what happened in Genesis, there's no way to remain pessimistic about the future. When you take Genesis at face value, as as a, okay, fair enough, fair enough. So if they don't recognize it, how do they reconcile it? Um, I mean, that's just the grace of God. In some of it this. is, it's a gift. That's that's the way it always is. So, um, because we, we're always, 
you know, we're always sin. Uh, one of my favorite things that Walker Percy talks about is that sin um, is the decision to sh- shatter ourself. JC said, I knew you were going to say they were Klein people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, I mean, by the way, I'm just enjoying hanging out with y'all, man. Like, I, seriously, yeah, it, it this is, is really fun. This is fun. Like, this. I see you guys chatting over here. Hit the rumble button. Some play skull just gave five dollars so he can ask a question. Man, God bless you, dude. I just this is really fun. You can't ask questions for free, though. <laughs> well, yes, yes, you can. <laughs> but he really wanted that question yeah, asked, yeah, which is awesome. So even though that they don't reconcile it, there's still a grace in that because there's a yeah. lot of things theologically we're probably not all going to reconcile. Like I, I love my Baptist brothers; they need to baptize their babies, and they not. <laughs> right. I'm fine with them not reconciling that until heaven, right? right? I'm fine with that, right? And if I knew the places where I wasn't reconciling properly, I'd dig in and figure it out. Yeah, um, well, and that's why actually I'm I'm being funny, but that's why this this relationship, the question, the yeah. the, the fellowship, you know, this is this is really important. You talked about the systems earlier and belonging and these systems and belonging are built so that everybody is monolithic. Right. Right. That's the way yeah. that Marxism really works and functions in the way that this, everybody's model in God's kingdom. It's not like that. Right. And one of the way, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, that's one of the things that's great. Vogelin has a whole chapter on why it is that Marxism can't allow dissent. Mm. Right? Marxism can't allow dissent because it doesn't, depend upon conformity to a truth that's outside itself. It depends upon conformity. Uh, it, it depends upon a system that functions um, wholly within itself. And if it, that breaks, it's and done. If it breaks, it's done. Yeah. So it, mm. it's a self-justifying system because it function because of its function, not because it conforms to an, a truth outside of itself. Trey May, so, Trey May said, um, I'm fine with Knox not reconciling disciples alone, baptism until heaven. I love you too, Trey. <laughs> but yeah, you know, and here's, I'm sorry, go ahead. I want you to finish that. Yeah, well, so, but, but yeah, the church is not an ideology. Christianity is not an ideology. That's not how it, it doesn't function that way. And everybody's head goes. <laughs> what do you, explain that. Well, I, so an ideology is that you have a single idea and everything else is explained according to it. Mm. Right? We have a creator God who loves us and everything else is, uh, is understood in relation to it. But most of it's not even designed to be understood. Most of what we have is designed to be enjoyed. Mm. It's funny you say it. Cause that's kind of the same thing with faith. You, you just believe it. Yeah. Right. Like right. The part, part of what people it's hard for us to understand is like, well, what do I do? <laughs> You believe, trust, trust God. It's true, and you lean on that's what you do. So I want to go back to this this thing too, as far as um, that system that's built on everybody being monolithic, even if it breaks inside of Marxism, it can't hold itself up. This is why I push for a hardcore biblical reform ecumenism. Yeah, because inside of that fellowship, there are things that I have wrong. Right. That I'm not going to get right apart from other believers who are challenging me back and forth in loving relationship to be able to to be sanctified in such a way. That's that's not Gnosticism. Right. That's yeah. in fellowship. Yeah, yeah. Fellowship is the is the thing that um, fights Gnosticism better than anything else. Right. I I need to have brothers that when I say something goofy, just laugh at me. Right. right, because right. they because they love me, right? That I know they love me, and I say something goofy, and they're like, "Oh man, 
Yeah. Because, right? you know, um, I'll, I'll get out on the skinny, skin, skinny branches. <laughs> um, you know, I, the one time, well, a couple of times, so we went through some health stuff and, but had to preach anyway. And, you know, preached on uh, hydrocodone <laughs> once, preached on oxycodone once and, and said crazy stuff. And the thing is, when I went back and listened to it, I was like, there's not the, the, any of that stuff I don't believe. It's just that I know to keep quiet when I'm <laughs> preaching. Right? <laughs> there's a part when you're yeah, preaching, it's you're like, right, you don't yeah, say that. Yeah. yeah, you yeah. Do, well, you're like, okay, you, you preach what you can declare to be true, not speculative stuff. And, but, you know, you, as soon as you reveal some of that, those speculative ideas, then you've, you've got to have brothers that are like, I pull your collar. Yeah, they're like <laughs> pull you by your baptism, yeah, they're, 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 or they'd like you know tweak your nose and laugh at you, and and because it's good, you know the um, the humility that that it takes to live in in community is is actually required of us by God, but we can think we have it, yeah, if we yep. never live in community, yeah, right. We can think that we have humility without, but um, you know, G.K. Chesterton he says that. Uh, and this is in uh, his biography of Thomas Aquinas, I believe, where he says, he says, the skinny monk might be holy, but it's the fat monk who is humble because mm. the fat monk knows what it is to be laughed at. And it's better for your soul to be laughed at than to be holy. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and, and, um, and he's, he's obviously he's, it's a poetic use of two different definitions of holy, but, but you know, it's, it's good to be laughed at. It's actually good for our soul to laugh at ourselves, right? We're the kind of creature that, that kind of exists as, as, as God's, uh, we, I think we think we're the straight man, but we're actually the Jerry Lewis. <laughs> um, hey, Neil, thank you for talking to Nathan. Nathan, thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Um, he said, he said, uh, Knocking out the tyranny of narcissism up in here. <laughs> so I want to get I want to get back to where we were with, with Vogelin as he starts yep. to break down the eschatology of uh, Marxism, right? Because this is this is foul stuff, bro. This, this really is. So, um, when, so when he talks about the uh, opium of the masses, the opium of the people being religion, he says it's because history is moving uh, the world beyond the. the us to the world beyond truth in order to establish the truth of the world. What he's saying is he's that humanity is evolving from a creature that exists under the world where truth um, we is, is over us and we have to conform to it to where we are over the mm. world and we become to, we become the creature, the, the, the being as humanity as a whole Corporate humanity becomes the being that defines what is true and what is not true, that imposes a democracy, <laughs> right? It's, well, it's, it's, it's a form like of a, democracy. It's like right? a de, um, demos, um, a people. It, it, it is. It's so that the, the demos becomes God. Yeah. Right? And God in the sense that we can say this is true, that is false. Right? This is why, like, in if, if, uh, if you read – about the Chinese communists, one of the things that they would do is they would bring a bunch of people out and they would say, you have, and this is the example is not exactly right. Um, but they would come out and they would say, tell me the sky is green. And you'd say, but the sky is blue and whoosh, 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 and beat you up. 
Now tell me the sky is green. Okay, the sky is green. Then they go to the next person. Tell me the sky is yellow. The sky, the sky is yellow. Tell me, right? They were saying that if you are going to be a part of us, then you have to understand that we are over truth. Mm. We define what is true. But that is a religious understanding of the evolution of of you the, know, of the soul of man of the uh, uh, into god right. this is this is exactly what we just experienced in the last year mm-hmm. oh yeah it's it, it's we're watching a uh, a marxist breakdown of a population yeah and and everybody i mean and all the churches bowed the knee well you know what I mean? <laughs> a, a lot, dude. It's uh, yeah, not like Canada. I, I, um, all the churches did. <laughs> well, in a, in a large sense, with a nation that has been overwhelmingly Christian. Yes. Yeah. Far too many of them. Yeah, far too But they didn't, because they they didn't understand, they don't understand the his, their history, they ha- didn't understand the play that was being run. Because guilt, shame, and fear mm. are always what have been used as to dislodge the church from its rightful place. And we're sitting on a metaphysical and we're, we're ignorance st- that yeah. we, we don't yeah. even know that the ground is already laid for that kind of setup. Right. So when they, when they come in and so I think well, there's a uh, Rod Dreher's book, live not by lies. Yeah. Very useful. Had some wonderful stuff, but that just that, that, principle was what held the church together under the USSR. We, that we can, we're doing our best to be the best citizen of the city that we can. We're not trying to overthrow uh, Mm. authorities, but we don't lie Mm. and we won't. And, and we would rather die, be tortured than tell lies. Mm-hmm. And that was such a threat to the communist regime that they said, we've got to kill them all, right? Just the refusal to tell lies, because what it did is it 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 showed that there's a crack in their metaphysic. Mm. It, it showed we refuse to live by the metaphysic that says you get to be over truth. Mm. You get to be God. Which is exactly where Marxism is pushing. It's where, it's where Marxism yeah. was pushing. It's where Hegel was pushing. And this is why when people, this is why this was hard for me in the beginning because as somebody who's lived in the community with police and all the stuff that goes on there in this city and, and then I see something like BLM come in there and then I see somebody like Vody push all the way against it. I'm like, but wait, you know what's going on in here with the whole city. He's like, no, 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 no. They don't get to define the metaphysical structure of the world. Right. When he, and his, his stuff on on ethnic Gnosticism is wonderful. It's yeah. so helpful. And and I was like, why are you shooting right past this thing over here? He's like, look, man, what they're coming after yeah. and what they're going to trying to do is to uproot the actual foundation and structure of how the world is made. Right. And if they do that, I don't care what category you have this conversation in, you will lose. Yeah. And the, and true or false of what's happening here. It's not going to be better for that community. And it's and, and it's yeah. not good. So now if if they are able to take and go beyond truth and become that truth and that, what is what is um to uh to establish the truth of the world. Yes. To be to, to enter a world beyond truth in order to establish the truth of the world. Beyond yeah. Yep. He goes into history after that. You want to yeah, JC. Okay, this feels like the right place. 
this feels like the right place to ask this. How do you think the loss of biblical metaphysics has contributed to our view of the immaterial, i.e. spiritual aspects of the created order? That's a really good question. He's been listening to these talks. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> no, that's a, that's a really good question because we were talking about this a little bit earlier. Actually, okay, so confessions. We are just always talking about this stuff. We really sometimes are. Sometimes we turn the recorder on. That's right. Um, so right. That's right. The, uh, <laughs> That's real. It is. It is. So uh, because the the question that is, what is a biblical metaphysic? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, when Because when you start to learn something new, it's really tempting to forget everything you already know. <laughs> right? I, I was telling David this story is, um, when I was younger uh, – this is my early twenties, newly married. Uh, my wife was pregnant with my first kid, and I'm in the process. I'm be- becoming reformed-ish. It's new to me. I'm reading. Uh, I've showed you the, the book that I was reading at the time that was blowing my mind. Uh, Wallace's book, Calvin's Doctrine of the Word and Sacrament. I'm like, I am. I am becoming reformed in this full blown. You know, um, blowing past. Uh, everything and I right about that time um, I become the youth pastor of uh, the first Presbyterian Church of Moscow Idaho right. and I think I'm the only reformed person in the history of the, that still exists right I, I don't know any other reformed people and I'm, I'm literally living in Moscow Idaho in 2001 right. and so um I'm and I'm reading R.C. Sproul's magazine, and I'm in the back uh, reading this great article on culture, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this thing's practically describing my town. And then I get to the bottom, it's like this is by Douglas Wilson in Moscow, Idaho. And I thought, I'm in Moscow, Idaho. <laughs> so I look him up in the phone book. What is Joe at? This is phone book. <clears throat> yeah. Look him up in the phone book, and I just walk over and knock on the door, uh, which is walk through the front door of the church, um, which was. Meeting now, it's an insurance building. It was just a little tiny. I also walk through and I say, I want to meet the <coughs> guy who wrote this article right here. And the secretary, who's now a dear friend, um, she, she says, Okay, well, he's got a, uh, an appointment in uh, three weeks. I was like, Three weeks? Who is this guy that he's got a three weeks out of appointments? He's like, she looks at me and she says, who are you? <laughs> oh, I'm the youth pastor of the church up on the hill. And he, she says, oh, hold on a sec. He's going to want to talk to you. And so she goes back and says, come on in, right? Goes and introduces me to Douglas Wilson. And I'm like, hi, I'm the youth pastor up on the hill. I'm a scruffy-looking punk rock kid youth pastoring. Um, that's not what I said. That's what I looked like. And uh, he's like, so good to meet you. Come on in. Tell me what's going on. And I tell him the story. I'm reading this article. I'm trying to figure out. I'm, you know, I'm becoming reformed, and and uh, so he he really a very patient pastor through all this and kind of walking me through stuff. And so I'm like, all of a sudden, there's this there's this whole reformed library that he just says, "Hey, take anything you want." Mm-hmm. And so I start taking things and I'm reading like crazy, and I go in and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, this covenant theology is." is changing everything for me. Yeah. I can't believe this stuff. And what he says to me is when you learn something new, do not forget what you already know. If you don't see how it fits together, 
Just be patient. Don't throw something out that you already know is true because you learned something new. And it's really easy when you start learning about metaphysics and Gnosticism to be like, oh, it's time to throw everything out. Um, And rather than saying, okay, I've got things that I already know are true. Yeah. Right? I'm not going to lose any of those. And I'm beginning, uh, you know, you're sort of propping things up, pouring a foundation underneath them. You might decide that there are things that do fall off the edge of the foundation. Sure. Yeah, but but in the process you're you're just you're learning something new and a biblical metaphysic is one of those things that feels like it changes everything and it's tempting to start dropping things when you don't need to. But then you lose the beauty of what it is though. Right. Because what I go ahead. Well cuz that and that's that's the thing is the beauty of what it is is intoxicating yes yeah yeah that's right so i want to keep going on because i know you got to run and and so i want to kind of hit out this eschatology yeah. of marx so you're you're you were working your way through page 286 right um keep going well okay so so what you have um is that you have this gnostic understanding of marx who says we have we are we as the human race are moving in a particular direction we are all evolving um becoming socialist man and um that means that we have to murder we have to murder god to make room for us to take his place and the only way to murder god is is to say well we created him in the first place right and so they develop this theory that that religion is something that we created as crutch so that we could then get rid of it so that we could then become God who defines what is defines being. And that is, and so, I mean, you see this all over the place now where, you know, somebody says you, I'm, I'm joining the Olympics and I'm a woman now. You think, well, you were a man last time you tried out. It's like, well, now I'm a woman you have to all call me that. Mm. Right. Mm. Somebody need to give God $10 right now for that. Right. Okay. I'm just joking. I'm just right. joking. But you're so right. It's right. A, they're, they're making a Marxist. They're, they're, they're making this exact move. Right. And, um, you know, they, they, you, you, you there's Rachel, a lot of things you call Rachel Dolezal. Yeah. I'm black I'm, now. I ran into her in Seven Eleven recently. She's been speaking. Really? Yeah. Did she tan in? Is she getting a little dark? Again, don't answer that. I just was polite, and I held the door for her. You held the door before a sister. And and I said. She's not. (laughs) I just held the door, and I said, have a nice day, (laughs) ma'am. Because she looked at me, and she could tell that I recognized her. She she knew who you. But but, but she's doing the same thing, though. But but she is doing the same thing, but it's my job to treat her according to what God says. Right. Which is why you hold the door for her. That's right. You call her ma'am. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm not hitting at you for that. Yeah. I'm, we'll talk about maybe we need to talk about that next of how do you deal with people because right now you got JD Greer who is out here saying hey if they want to be called if they give you your pronouns and they give you a new name you, you call them by that and then he kind of changed it a little bit but he should have never ever said that in the beginning anyway right. and so people are really struggling like so how do I because what they're afraid of doing is offending how do I communicate that I love this person that I want to actually um, help this person at the same time they won't let me close if I don't treat them the way they tell me that I have to treat them right right and so 
I don't want to get there yet. I want to keep going on this idea that we are jumping that chasm. Yeah. So, so for Marx though, that it's because we created the world in the first place that we can recreate it. His doctrine of creation, his doctrine of his metaphysic is there is no fundamental ontology. There's no being to this world. We impose it by the will of collective humanity. And there's all sorts of things that it got called. The social contract. The, um, okay, okay. the phenomena, See, phenomenological, the phenomenology. There's all sorts of things where we, as the human race, impose meaning onto a blank slate. Can I just say real quick, this is why I think it's either theonomy or autonomy. <laughs> it, okay? Well, it, in the in the general sense, for sure, because every every anomie is a has a theos. Well, and I don't care. We can argue all day about how we impose theonomy, right? right. Whatever, because it's God's world, his his rules. Yeah. We can argue about rules we apply. Yeah. So everybody's a theonomist in one sense, right? And so I want to make that clear. And it's like, what kind of theonomists are you? Is the only questions yeah. I want to be having with folks, because people who don't want to function that way i'm like well well, hold on now you only got another option rhetorically though we have to come i we we need to either revive the word theonomy by quitting being jerks i'm not a jerk <laughs> no you're not yeah no. i don't know anybody else <laughs> <laughs> what i'm we, lying we, no but but for real though no, i mean but no, you know what you're, but, you're but, absolutely right just because that. people have been jerks doesn't mean that their position necessarily should be completely done away with that's true but but if if it's ugly then it's hard to believe it's true well i don't listen to bad music you know what i mean it's still music but it still (laughs) can be bad i get that i get it but 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 so but but like but i don't want people act like they got another choice you ain't got another choice absolutely you ain't got another choice and uh um but and rhetorically maybe we need a new word for it probably do i really i mean i i think yeah but so uh, you're probably right. JD, what was the guy's name? JD Greer. JD Greer. So it, that's a good example, though, of trying to figure out, like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to be a jerk, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's right. And so you're trying to, you're trying to navigate what it, what does kindness look like in this situation, um, and but but you've got this order of order of loyalties. Mm-hmm. When God tells you you can't lie, yep, right, and his and our loyalty to Him has to make every other loyalty look like hatred, yeah, and that's what Jesus says. So our loyalty to God makes every other loyalty look like hatred because it's so intense. When that's true, then our other loyalties line up, right? And so we're in those situations where like mm, it's actually not good for your soul to lie to you anyway. Mm. Um, you know that uh, I when. There's, I can think of a lot of examples of this where uh, older men in my life, um, older Christians, have have refused to let me continue in a lie. And even at the time, I was like, this, "I don't like that. I don't want that. I want that's uncomfortable, right?" Mm-hmm. But then I come back to it later, and I'm like, oh, "I'm so grateful they did that." Yeah, right. So like they loved me they because loved they didn't me. let me live in my life. Yeah. I'm I'm being an idolater right now. Right? I'm trying to do exactly what's happening here and they're like, "No." Yeah. When I and I just recently uh, was 
talking with a guy who's top level Hollywood guy and he's a fairly new Christian within the last five years became a Christian and he's trying to navigate all of this and he said I know that this isn't forever right because I'm but right now I'm trying to figure out how do I navigate it I finish a project turn it in everybody says yeah you did exactly what we asked then they hand it back and they say hey we need you to change the pronouns of this character because now, because we we want this to be our our um, uh, Pride Week feature, right? It's done. It was already approved, and now it's being sent back to be to, recreated. To be re, re, and he and he says it doesn't uh, it doesn't improve the story. It wasn't written that way. It, it uh, and they're like, well, no, but it we need it for marketing purposes because we got a Pride Week coming up. And this he, is their it's their attempt to kill is, God, yeah. right? And so he's he's looking at it, saying, "Well, what do I do? How do I?" So he's trying to figure out how do I navigate this, um, you know, and that that situation where he's like, "I know I can't lie," right? <laughs> and then my name is going to be on this. I know I can't lie. So, <laughs> and um, and he so he so he's like, "There's no way that that my new faith." does not put me into conflict with this. And so, um, I don't know if I should even... He, no, you're live, so don't do what yeah. you don't know if you should do. <laughs> so, But, but, but it, where he, as a Christian, he, he's, he's saying, I know I, I know I have to make a decision, and I know what it can't be. I can't go along with the lie. Yeah. Right? And, and, and he also knows where they don't want him to be at. Right. right. He they know yeah. he knows they've told you you can't push here. Right. 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 Yeah. So you've got these these situations where the that the lie is making a metaphysical point about it. Right. That's what that's what they're that's why they're insisting. It's because they don't believe it either. They know that they don't they then they know they don't have to. Yeah. They know that the lie makes a metaphysical point, though. Okay, keep keep going with because I know you got to write, but okay. keep going on well, with this Marxist eschatology. Well, I th- I think though. So and the, so you last thing you said was we they are people a good example of what's happening right now in Gnosticism is that when a guy says goes to Olympic and says hey you know what I'm actually a woman now yeah and, and you are all gonna call me you're all gonna don't call dead name me, me yeah. you, right you all have to go along with the lie because when we hold together. We will have the power to uh, redefine mm. the nature of the order of being. Mm. Together, we can be God. Anyone who goes against it has to be destroyed, cut out, or pressured into it. Oh my goodness, that's Berger, Obergefell. Exactly right, because because it only works if we're all together. That's the Marxist system, and that's only the politics of it. Works if it's all together. And the politics side of this is that you have to get. Um, is this comment still be monitored? Yes, it is. <laughs> I see you. Um, you have to get the laws to get in place because that is the thing that exercises the ideology of this position, right? We have to punish those who don't fall in line with our thinking on this. Right, right. Because And, and it's the same way, you know, if, if it's any legalistic system functions this way. If my blessing depends upon you doing something, mm. right? 
Mm. then whatever pressure I have to put on you is justified. Mm. And, and when this is why legalistic churches get shame focused, they get fear focused, they uh, guilt manipulate, you know, because if, if I live in a world where my blessings depend upon your actions and I lose blessings, if you don't act a certain way, then whatever I have to do to get you to act that way is justified because there's blessings on the line. Yeah. Right. Marxism, Marxism is secular 1950s Baptist culture. <laughs> oh, wow. We just went there. <laughs> right. I mean, okay. or, um, you know, it's, as Puritanism degraded in the 18, 1800s, you know, that, that, see, that can play paid Baptists too. We, <laughs> we did this too. <coughs> the, um, that as Puritanism degraded and it became really legalistic, it, it was justified because the blessing of the community depended upon everyone um, following God. Mm. And the blessing of the community goes away if somebody sins in the camp. Pharisees uh, in the first century... Same, same sort of thing. The blessing of the community depends upon everybody following the law. So whatever, and, and parents do this to their own children, right? when they when they get uh, legalistic, when the, when they think the blessings of the family depend upon you guys all staying in line. Guilt manipulation, any kind of force being applied becomes justified. So that I can keep you all in check. So I can keep you all in line because there are blessings at stake. Karl Marx is secularizes that idea. That's why, that's why Marxists are such legalists, right? And why you see, you know, um, you know just you, you see this all all up and down. Um, the the left is so puritanical right now. It's just about a different set of morality. You know, this is interesting though because I think part of the right has looked at the left and been jealous. Because the left doesn't seem to actually separate. They actually seem to be very united and very yeah. together. But the truth is, is that you're lockstep because, which was really interesting with the, the squad and because like, right. whoa, what's going on here? Uh, but otherwise, they can't function right. apart from being everybody yeah. monolithic. Where And the consequences, <laughs> which is why the consequences are, are so um, significant, right? You, you step out of line a half step. Um, yeah. What what's her name this last week? That, Who is that? Uh, uh, that tweeted about. Her, oh, Nicki Minaj. Nicki Minaj yeah, right? yeah. But the consequences have to be immediately nuclear. Right. Right. Destroy her. Destroy her. <laughs> she stays in line, or she doesn't exist. Those are the options. And the things they said. What we have supported you. We have. It's like what. She's a strong, independent black woman. What are you yeah, talking right. about? Hey, JC, we hit Presbyterians too, bro. So just so yeah, you know, we, we just did. come after Baptist. We, did. we, we were we making did. a point. Yeah. I, I, if I want to come for you, bro, I'll come <laughs> for you, bro. Uh, no, you're right. And so that, but in, the thing, though, that's happening inside of conservatism or conservatives is that they're jealous of how, how they're able to function in power. The left, they're jealous of how the left is able to function because they all move in this one unit. Right. And so they as want as to move. The problem with cancel culture is that we aren't the ones that get to canceling <laughs> well that's exactly right no that's absolutely and, and and it's interesting because 
part of um for me with the cancel culture stuff is not that somebody is going to get Levitical laws applied to them. Right. It's what is the standard we're going to use by which we're going to make a, a judgment on what is right and what is wrong. Right. And so like the, the problem with cancel culture is like, I don't like you, therefore you need to die. And it's like, whoa, like, you know, yeah. I might not um, like you, but you still have, you're still made in the image of God. There are certain right. ways that we treat people. I don't have to enjoy everything you do and not, but you know, this is why on platforms like Gab and, and other platforms, it's like you can still, I, if I had a platform, I would still let you be there. Right. But you know, there's certain things you can't do. You can, there's a line, yeah. but also too, I don't have to, you know, promote everything you're doing, Right. but you can still exist. You're wrong. Yeah. And I love to have the dialogue with you. And there's things that should be, illegal even on platforms right like yes threatening threatening somebody's children right should never be allowed because yeah. that that it's a well threatening another human being threat, yeah, i'm gonna kill you oh, right. well you know yeah. you don't get to don't do get, that you don't get to do that yeah. right that's and um because it's it's illegal in person so it should right. be illegal online catch yeah. me outside no 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 yeah yeah <laughs> so but at the same time there is a uh, it it requires a Christian metaphysic to be able to have communities of people that are not lockstep. Yeah, no, that's right, right. And this is why um, I actually enjoy. I, I want to see more of a unified. So when I became Presbyterian, I gave up so, so much of my charismatic. Yep. Actually, when I became reformed, became Baptist, I gave up so much of my charismatic and it's like my charismatic folk weren't wrong. Right. There were supposed to be some fire. <laughs> I, we just didn't put it inside the place where the fire go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like and we so, should have fire. Yes. And, Everywhere, not just the fireplace. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we want fire on the couch. We yeah. want fire in the car. We want fire in your hair. We want fire on your feet. I mean, we want fire everywhere. But the fire actually goes in a particular place, and when you put it in the right place, it actually heats the building. Yep. And that's why I have uh, on my Twitter, is like I'm a theonomic, charismatic, post-millennial, um, Presbyterian. I'm all kinds of messed up, right? right? Like yeah. all those things because that's that was and I don't want to so I want all those things to be in balance with each other right. but are you was it I uh, I was done here I, yeah, yeah. but I I do think that's been one of the blessings of this of this weird covid press that the government makes is all of a sudden the churches the churches that say hey I'm not going to lie all of a sudden you find yourself standing Next to each other, and you're like, "Oh, hey, you're out here too, right?" <laughs> Who would have seen this coming? Like, right? You know, we, we had um, some interesting stuff happen down in California when I was down there in Santa Cruz, and some of these things were were there were advanced waves in California, not COVID specific, but um, attempts to see uh, what what would happen with churches, you know, churches that were denied. Um, their property rights and you know different things. When so then you look at the people that show up to say, "Hey, this isn't okay." Yeah. And you look and you're like, "Oh, yeah. I, I yeah. didn't expect the to be out here with the home church folks." You know, and abortion was something similar, right? Yeah, yeah. Um the people that stand against the abortion, you look and you say, "Oh, look at these are people that I wouldn't have thought of as you know, we're the ones um left 
<laughs> yeah, but, yeah. But it's it was never the you know it was never the people you expect. All right, so you got to run. We need to end this, but really quick. We started off with the idea that with the topic, basically, the metaphysics is eschatology in motion. Yeah. Just give summarize that now, because now we have a lot larger of a, a understanding of what that means. So yeah. give give a quick summary of all the context that we have now. Just wrap up everything now with that right. context. So if if eschatology is metaphysics in motion, then what what that means is the kind of world that God created is going to be moving in a particular way towards a particular end. And the kind of world that God created is a, God, God brought Adam and Eve into a garden and he said, hey, this whole place is edible. First off, have fun with that. And then he said, and see out there how there's, um, there's all kinds of gold and, and there's all sorts of precious stones and there's rivers and there's waters. This whole place is a, is a, uh, is, is a sandbox. And I have hidden things that reflect my glory all throughout it. Like iPhones. Like iPhones, yes. Yeah. Right. And electric cars. <laughs> okay, I'll get you. No, no and it's a and it's a place that is um that is constantly magically regenerating. Mm. Right. The, the, this That's is, huge. It is. That's a huge point. It is, because all of the Gnostic metaphysics depend upon a world where the resources uh, are there's not enough. Mm. Gnostic metaphysics, a Gnostic metaphysic depends upon a world resources that has limited resources. So there's not going to be enough for everyone anyway. Right. And so then there's a competition for them. You've got a world that is filled with, with things that reflect God's glory. And then it's a giant game. History is a giant game of hide and seek. Mm. where God has hid those, these things and said, Hey, have fun. And guess what? This world is constantly regenerating. Um, and it's a power that you don't have access to that causes it to constantly regenerate. Yeah. Uh, and, and so then the uh, history is, is that he, you know, we were created for a lot of things to reflect God, to have fellowship with him. But also one of the central things uh, about our place in this world is that um, God has called us to be his playmate. Yeah. And, that's the kind of world we find ourselves That's in. That's Job, right? You see, hey, come here. Yeah. Hey, come out of here. Check out yeah. this. Yeah. Check out this dragon. Check out this thing. Look what I made now. Yeah, look what I, I made. made. Yeah. yeah. Could you do that? No. no. <laughs> right. But um, you can name it. Right? Yeah. You, but you get to name it, right? So, <laughs> but there's this that that um, that and then all of history is the spreading uh, throughout the was intended to be the joyful spreading of that game of hide and seek throughout the rest of the world. Right. But mm. sin came in and taught us that we need to take ourselves really, really seriously. <laughs> and then we, that we can't just enjoy all of this and, and, and press out and, 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 uh, uh, and be thankful for it all. But that instead there's something much more serious at stake. You um, know, and, to, go and uh, so, we have to get control of it all. Mm. Right? And we're grasping. We're grasping. We're grasping. We're grasping. But it all turns out, like Ecclesiastes says, to be the wind that we're trying to hold on to. We can't. God created us with limitations on purpose. And that the, the 
embrace of those limitations is what it looks like to live joyfully in faith before the Lord. I mean, the entire book of Ecclesiastes is we misread it because we take ourselves so seriously. Mm. I, I think the best way to read that is that Solomon is, is bouncing through like Tom Bombadil. Uh, he's bouncing across a bridge and there's a bunch of people taking themselves really seriously who each have a balloon who are getting ready to jump off the bridge and say, this balloon will hold me up. And he bounces through and he pops each one in a joyful dance. (laughs) That won't hold you up. That won't give you ultimate meaning. That won't give you ultimate meaning. That won't give you ultimate meaning. And it gets to the end and he says, guess what? There's a picnic on the other side of the bridge. Let's go enjoy it and have a dance. Guess what? Grab the wife of your youth. Remember how hot she is? Mm. Let's go enjoy that. Let's let, uh, we've got sandwiches. If you ever thought of something so amazing as sandwiches and that the whole point of it is God has given us things to enjoy, uh, be in their place. And what we do is we try to squeeze ultimate meaning out of it and we squeeze it to death and then we can't even enjoy it. Well, and cause God's world is meant to be had with an open hand, right? It, and and there's plenty to go around so we can be generous. You know, I've really seen that a lot inside of Christendom where uh, I've watched it happen with people in platforms, particularly people who have larger platforms. They're concerned about being associated with this person right. or being associated with that person because they're looking at the pie of Christendom and they're saying, man, if I associate with that person, I'm going to lose part of this pie. Yeah. And so I don't know. We're, we're just kind of. And, and, and this is, I gotta give my boys a huge shout out over Apologia. When we first started podcasting, they were the only ones that actually had us on their show. <laughs> and they didn't, they weren't cutting that pie any weird type way. They were like, we love you brothers. We hope you guys do great. And they've yeah. been just supporting us in such a, a, a fantastic way. And they have been the few that I have seen who have a very large platform that have done that because everybody is walking around afraid. Yeah. And well, grasping, I, you know? I saw this morning, I think it was Instagram or someplace, yeah, um, there was somebody put up a picture of nine different people. I recognized a couple of them, and they were like, oh, here's a bunch of wolves. And I thought, was that Sinclair Ferguson on there? I don't, I don't think that guy's a wolf. And, not, and then You just don't have the knowledge, Jason. Well, yeah, maybe. But then <laughs> and somebody somebody else was like, What? Some of those are good guys and they're like, if they're willing to be associated with the CRT woke crowd, then they are wolves. I was like, mm, it's not how it works though. Mm, that's it, exactly how we're working right now. It is, it is. But that's because we are act we're we're uh we're acting out of fear as if the gospel is less powerful than CRT mm. woke business. And so we've got to keep it separate and keep it safe where um, rather than saying like, Oh man, they're going to let me up there and preach the gospel. They have no idea. Yeah. Right? right. There's a reason that you're not allowed to bring Bi- You were not allowed to bring Bibles into communist China. They, that brother Andrew had to sneak Bibles into the USSR and that there's a reason that those Bibles started getting opened, passed around, and the and the USSR fell. Right there, there. I have I have a list of guys that I'm concerned about. And my my this my problem is not that they're not shouldn't be concerned about them. It's that if I get to share a stage, we having it out. Like let's <laughs> let's. I just wish we can come and talk. Right. I yeah. I'm, I just want the conversation. Right. You know. Well, but but that that's if if you believe that the gospel is powerful that the 
the word of God is clear and the word of God is, is the, is the breath of the Lord that revives Adams and Eves. And yeah. then, then there's no stage you don't jump up onto and say, Hey, let's, let's talk let's about do this. this. Let's yeah. do this. Right. It, the, any, any opportunity you get, you, the, the, you don't have to be afraid you're going to get there. <clears throat> they, uh, you don't have to be afraid that you're going to get their uncleanness on you, but they better be afraid you're, that they're going to get yeah. your holiness on them. Yeah, I call it the leper effect. Like you want to be the one that's contagious, right? Yeah, right? you know, like that's and, and the only way you do that is by trusting in the spirit, right? And right. the but the but the scriptures are, the, greater is He who is in me than He who is in the world. That's right. We don't approach any of those situations with fear. Mm. Now they're going to have to throw me out, maybe. Yeah, we've but, been there before. Yeah, but we th- but you we, don't have to yeah. throw me out. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, and, and um, you know that's the I love that. That moment, it's Acts 17, where Paul sees great, them chanting, Great is Diane of the Ephesians. And he says, Ooh, a congregation. <laughs> Excellent. Let me get out there and preach. And the mayor, who's a friend of his, the mayor is like, Paul, they're going to tear you to bits, right? He's like, Yeah, I know. <laughs> he's, Isn't like, it great? he's like, Well, I mean, if they do, they do. But look, a crowd gathered, mm-hmm. I should be preaching, right? That Paul has his mission very clearly set out for him. And so he sees every crowd as a congregation waiting to be preached to. Um, and the mayor, he knows his Greek mythology. He knows that uh, a group of people chanting great is Diana of the Ephesians is just about to tear somebody limb from limb. Yeah. That's there's old Greek stories about that. He, and so, but the two of them have competing stories in their mind and Paul's story is, is such that he is he's ready to go up there and the mayor is like Paul you're my friend I can't stand to watch you torn limb from limb mm-hmm. that that moment you've got competing understandings of the of what is powerful mm, and for Paul he's like even if I get torn yeah, limb from limb torn it's going to be for the gospel though right. so, all right so what I I have I already know what we're going to talk about next time <laughs> so um Bruce I see you man he said, I love What's you guys. Bruce? I drove up from Dallas August 2020 and, uh, for GA. Best trip ever. Salute, bros. <laughs> Came in a little late. Hey, thank you guys for hanging out with us. It's, I've seen the numbers fluctuate, but I just want to say thank you guys. It's been awesome. We're still trying to build this platform over here. Let people know we're going to be over here hanging out. We're going to be here tomorrow, 10 o'clock um, West Coast time, Pacific time. We're doing a live show. Pastor Toby and Gabe will be here, and we're going through um, – Neil is playing with straws back there, completely distracting me. Those straws are distracting. <laughs> Neil has a straw problem, people. Yeah. If you didn't know, Neil has a straw problem. This is his only problem, though, so that's good. Well, <laughs> well. I guess I don't know um, Neil so, as well as you. <laughs> um, it's his problems that make him my friend. You know, you know. We we share some of the same problems, so we'll be here on on uh, Rumble. Don't forget, this is this is we got kicked off of YouTube, and so YouTube is forcing us to use other platforms to be able to communicate. And this is great; I love it. I would have never been hanging out like this with you guys over here at Rumble if it wasn't for YouTube. Um, Odyssey. If you want to find all of our old shows, they are still up on Odyssey. And the good news is, in the future, we're actually going to be live streaming on the app. Uh, directly, which is going to be really fun. It's going to have his own messenger there, but we want to build up Rumble. Thank you guys. Even I think it's just five dollars today, but that's all right. Play Skull, thank you, brother, for the five dollars. Um, I'm very the fact that 
honestly, guys, we've made more money over here on Rumble, which ain't a lot, than we have on YouTube anyway. Um, and so this is really cool. Uh, all the talks for the conference, Fight Laugh Feast conference, are up. Uh, our talk, which we should have had this conversation at yeah. the conference, but we didn't. Are you ready to rumble? Yeah. Um, Uncle Gary and uh, that was fun. Jason and myself, our talk is up there as well on the uh, club portal, so you can do that. Sign up, become a club member. High fives or just saying, hey, love what you guys are doing. Keep it up. Or you can sign up and get all the – there's a bunch of content. And in, in behind the club portal, and I think we need to do a master class on Gnosticism. I, I, I agree. I think we just yeah. need to do a very uh, just a six part series master class on Gnosticism, knock it out possibly in a day, and let, put that behind the portal so people could uh, enjoy it. Okay. Oh, making sure there's no more questions before I head out. All right, y'all. Salute. Thank you for joining. Next time. <laughs>